Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day. Hello and welcome to TGI Crime Day. I'm your host, Taylor. Welcome to my channel. This is very exciting because I have had some camera issues, so this is the first time that I'm doing this on camera. So bear with me, be patient with me as we figure this out together. If you are listening to the audio only version, you can now find this podcast on YouTube. It's just TGI Crime Day and go over there and subscribe. I would love to have you. But for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I also have 25 audio only episodes. So you can go and catch up on those if you would like to. And then also hopefully you subscribe and stick around for the rest of the ones here. Yay. Okay. I'm going to quit rambling and get into today's subject. We've all been down the late night invest Google rabbit hole where you end up on a list of cursed films, right? Not just me. From strange accidents on set to urban legends that develop a cult following, I see these films labeled as cursed a lot. For my audio only people, that cursed was in air quotes. I don't know about cursed though. I think it's more of a combination of bad luck, poor planning, and sometimes negligence on the part of the production company for wanting things done whether or not it's safe or ethical. Either way, let's talk about these cursed films. Okay, first up, let's talk about a movie called The Conqueror. That is a really difficult word for me to say, I'm sorry. This film came out in 1956 and was directed by Dick Powell and starred John Wayne. In the movie, John Wayne, who is white, plays Genghis Khan. So first of all, we're problematic right off the bat. There are clips of this movie on YouTube, and let me tell you, it is really something. But bad writing and poor casting isn't why this movie is on the list of cursed films. So, director Dick Powell and producer Howard Hughes decided the best filming location for this movie was in St. George, Utah. With the Red Rock Mountains, the desert, it's a beautiful filming location, and I'm sure they got the exact look that they were going for, but when there were reshoots that needed to be done, Howard Hughes had 60 tons of that great St. George dirt flown out to a studio in Hollywood so that they could make sure that everything matched up perfectly. The only problem is that the place they were filming in St. George was about 140 miles downwind of a nuclear weapons testing site in Nevada. In 1953, 11 above-ground weapons tests were done in a project called Operation Upshot Knothole. <laughs> Every time I say that, it just sounds ridiculous. The production company knew that these nuclear tests had happened a few years before they started filming The Conqueror, but they weren't worried about it, of course, because the federal government had promised the people living in cities nearby that there were no public health hazards from the tests. So, for weeks, the cast and crew occupied all the hotels and motels and did all the filming, probably great for that St. George economy. And then after spending all of that time filming in the desert, they spent time in Hollywood with that desert dirt filming reshoots. There were 220 total cast and crew members, and of those people, 91 of them developed cancer in their lifetime. 91. That's 41% of the cast and crew. Of those 91, 46 of them died from cancer. To look at it from a logical standpoint, the number of cancer cases in this group were in line with the national average at that time. But in 1980, a biology professor from the University of Utah said, quote, with these numbers, this case could qualify as an epidemic. 
The connection between fallout radiation and cancer in individual cases has been practically impossible to prove conclusively, but in a group this size, you'd expect only 30-some cancers to develop. With 91 cancer cases, I think the tie-in to their exposure on the set of The Conqueror would hold up in a court of law." End quote. John Wayne himself actually died from stomach cancer, but he believed it was his six-pack-a-day smoking habit. Maybe not all the cases of cancer in this group were from the nuclear testing, but it would be very interesting to know if this actually did play a factor in it. Towards the end of his life, Howard Hughes allegedly felt so guilty about his decision to film at a possibly deadly location, he bought every copy of the film for $2 million and kept it out of circulation until his death in 1979. This film is on a lot of different cursed movie lists, and personally, I don't think it was a cursed set. I think it was just a really sad coincidence that was probably preventable if the government was disclosing the actual issues that they were causing with nuclear testing sites. It's none of my business. Okay, I'm a bit of a skeptic when it comes to cursed movies, and I don't think you could convince me that The Conqueror was a cursed movie, but the weirdness surrounding The Omen needs to be talked about because it might make you rethink movie curses and if they are actually real. The 1975 version of The Omen was riding that wave of success that was created by The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby. The 1970s were loving that demonic vibe, and it did not stop for a very long time. I think people still are loving that demonic vibe. In The Omen, a couple adopts a boy named Damien who, oopsies, turns out to be the Antichrist. The idea for this movie came from producer Henry Bernhard and advertising manager Bob Muncher. Bob tried to be a good friend and warn Harvey against making this movie, saying, quote, If you make this movie, you're going to have some problems. If the devil's greatest single weapon is to be invisible and you're going to do something which is going to take away his invisibility to millions of people, he's not going to want that to happen. End quote. Well... Whether that was true or not, there were some very freaky things that happened surrounding this movie. The first of many tragedies adjacent to The Omen happened to leading man Gregory Peck, who played the dad in The Omen. Just two months before filming started, Gregory's son tragically took his own life. Gregory decided still to move forward with filming this movie and decided to use his personal anguish as motivation for his character. When Gregory was on the flight to London in September of 1975, his plane was struck by lightning. The lightning caught the plane on fire and came very close to crashing. So I investigated it, and apparently planes being struck by lightning isn't that strange of an occurrence, which just adds to my list of fears surrounding flying. It's fine. I'm fine. We're going to be fine. It's, it, it'll be fine. It happens all the time. It's fine. According to mainblades.com, quote, on average, every commercial aircraft is struck by lightning once or twice a year. Can someone please write into me and tell me that that information is incorrect? I'm literally begging you. Anyways, Gregory Peck wasn't the only one who experienced a lightning strike. Executive producer Mace Newfield's plane was also struck by lightning on its way to London, which again, we know is not that uncommon. I hate this information. The lightning caused an engine to blow and they almost crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. Luckily, in both instances, everyone was fine, everyone survived, it was okay. However, a third person involved with this film, screenwriter David Seltzer, was also in a plane that was struck by lightning. Yikes of bikes. I know that we just talked about how common it is to happen, but that feels like a lot. Three strikes of lightning didn't stop this crew from moving forward with filming The Omen, but the bad luck didn't stop there. So there's a scene in the movie where Gregory Peck has to run away from a pack of vicious dogs in a cemetery, as you do. And there were Rottweilers on set that were very well trained. They were professionally trained, they had a trainer on set, 
to make sure that everything went smoothly and safety. This was not something, it wasn't their first day on the job, okay? The dogs were instructed to attack a stuntman that was in protective padding, but when they let the dogs loose for their Hollywood moment, they attacked the stuntman too well and ripped through the protective padding. Suddenly, they were attacking the stuntman for real and would not listen to the trainer's commands to stop. Luckily, the stuntman survived, but that would be terrifying. I'm going to throw in a personal anecdote here because I work in film, talked about all the time in films. If you've got babies or animals on set, you know it's going to be a stressful day, and apparently that set was no different. I can't even imagine how terrifying that would be. There was also another incident that happened with an animal. In The Omen, there's a scene where Damien and his mom drive through some kind of a wildlife habitat, and there are a group of baboons that start attacking the car because, you know, the devil child. The actress who played the mom, Lee Remick, was real-life terrified by this scene, and I don't blame her one bit. Um, the directors decided that they could get a much better response and a much more intense reaction if they put one of the baboons in the car while they were filming with Damien and his mom. So to get the baboons to attack the car, they put a baboon in the back seat with a trainer so that the other baboons would get riled up and be scared that their friend was being kidnapped or whatever horrible idea. See, that's not a curse. That was just bad planning. You shouldn't have done that. So they filmed the scene. They got the reactions that they wanted with the baboon in the back seat. It was very stressful for everyone involved. And unfortunately, the day after they filmed this scene, that same animal trainer was attacked by a tiger and was killed almost immediately. Which again, you can put that in the category of, I don't know if that was a curse, but it was definitely a horrible coincidence uh, that just happened to be an accident that was adjacent to this movie. While they were filming in London, producer Mace Newfield was staying at the Hilton Hotel with his wife. This hotel was actually bombed by the IRA. Luckily, the Newfields weren't at the hotel at that time. However, a few days later, Newfield and a few of the other producers, along with Gregory Peck, were headed to a restaurant when the IRA bombed that building, too. That's twice. Again, none of the cast and crew were injured, but it was a very scary coincidence. Towards the end of filming, there was a small plane that the crew rented to get some aerial shots, but at the very last minute, this small plane was rented out to another client. Right after taking off, this plane crashed, killing several people. Again, weird coincidence. Is it a curse? I don't know. After filming Wrapped on the Omen, this possible curse seemed to follow some of the crew to their next jobs. Again, the lightning thing is very strange to me, but one of the producers, Harvey Bernard, was so close to getting struck by lightning while filming in a field in Rome. One of the most upsetting and tragic things that happened surrounding the people involved in The Omen was when a special effects director, John Richardson, who was described as a visionary in his field, was in a horrible car accident with his assistant, Liz Moore. They were working on a movie in Holland called A Bridge Too Far when John crashed his car and Liz was with him. Liz Moore was unfortunately beheaded in this accident. And there is actually a scene in The Omen that they did special effects for where someone was beheaded. And allegedly, this seems like an embellishment to me, but it's brought up every time this story comes up, so we're going to talk about it. But allegedly, when John crawled out of the car after the crash, he saw a sign letting him know that they were 66.6 kilometers away from the city of Omen. One of the stuntmen for The Omen, Alf Joint, was also working on a bridge too far. Maybe a bridge too far was cursed, okay? In one of the scenes, he had to jump off of a tall building and land on an airbag, which was a stunt he had done countless times before and never had any issues. But this time, Alf jumped from the building at a very weird 
angle and he completely missed the airbag. He was severely injured and rushed to the hospital. Luckily, he survived. But later he said that he felt like someone had pushed him off of the building, but there was no one around him. Very spooky. Speaking of spooky, there was a location from the Omen that ended up with a very creepy, spooky reputation. The Guildford Cathedral was featured heavily in the Omen, and after the movie was released, the priests there had trouble getting people to attend mass because people were so freaked out about this movie. This fear lasted for decades, and eventually in 2008, an armed man was spotted on the church grounds and eventually shot and killed by authorities on the same cathedral steps that were shown in the Omen. Very spooky, very strange, some of them very unexplainable, others horrible, horrible coincidences and bad planning. What do you think? Okay, we're gonna move on to the next one. And of course, we can't talk about spooky demonic movie curses without talking about the OG, The Exorcist. When The Exorcist was released in 1973, it was kind of a precursor to the satanic panic of the 80s. The Exorcist is about a young girl named Reagan who is possessed by demonic spirits. She barfs green goo, she speaks in tongues, and does that horrifying walk down the stairs in the back bend thing. Very spooky. So people were less than stoked about this movie coming out. People protested outside theaters, and in some places in the UK, the movie was even banned. Audiences reported vomiting and seizures, which can be easily explained by the visual effects used in this movie. Of course, there are the obvious ones like the pea soup projectile vomiting, gross, but also flashing lights and subliminal messaging in the movie. There are weird noises that are so quiet that they're barely noticeable in certain scenes of the movie. Sometimes it's the buzzing of bees because that noise automatically triggers a fear response in a lot of people. This is something that's used in film a lot to have that kind of like spooky background that just makes you feel uneasy that you kind of can't explain. But there is also a very spooky looking demonic face that flashes for just half a second a few times throughout the movie. And because of the reactions that people had to these things, it started rumors that people could just get possessed by the devil and by evil souls just by watching it. The drama. I don't know about all that, but there were definitely some freaky things that happened on the set of The Exorcist. First, there was a major delay in filming because most of the set burned down. The only place that was completely untouched by the fire was Reagan's bedroom, where most of the scariest possessions happen in the film. After that incident, a priest was called to bless the set. Apparently that didn't really work because there were still a lot of other scary things that happened. A couple of so-called cursed things that happened on set were definitely due to an overzealous director wanting things to be over the top and dramatic, in my opinion. Both Linda Blair, who played Reagan, and Ellen Burstyn, who played the mom, suffered major back injuries during the filming. The only curse at play in their injuries was the curse of having a director who goes too far with his actors and doesn't know when to quit because he forgets that they're humans and not toys. <laughs> There's a part where Reagan is flopping around in her bed because, of course, she's possessed. And in order to make it look realistic and not just be Linda Blair flopping around like a fish out of water, they rigged a board that would violently fling her around. It looks extremely painful, and Linda later said that she believes this is what caused her to have scoliosis. Ellen Burstyn was, of course, an older, more seasoned actress that wasn't as afraid to stand up for herself. She told the director, William uh, Billy Fredkin, Friedkin. Fredkin? Friedkin. That she was worried she was going to be hurt during a stunt where a possessed Reagan throws her mom across the room and into a wall. This stunt was done by putting Ellen into a harness, and then a crew member would pull her across the room. She told Billy that she was being pulled way too hard and she was going to get hurt, but Billy said, quote, it has to look real. It's a movie. The take that ended up in the movie 
shows Ellen getting hurt for real. It's a horrible injury. It's terrifying. And she knew it was going to happen. They thought she was just acting her ass off and pulling the performance of a lifetime. But when she flew into this wall and started screaming bloody murder, it was because her lower spine was really fractured. After that, she had to use crutches during the rest of filming. Again, not because the set was cursed by the devil, but because of poor safety measures. Not a curse. Other than the curse of too much creativity and freedom from a director. Okay, moving on. I'm sure the whole cast and crew were very happy to finish filming, but like I mentioned before, there was a lot of controversy around this movie, hitting the highest grossing movie of its time, which is amazing. People wanted to see what all the fuss was about, and it obviously has kind of a cult following now. But during one of the premieres in Rome, a 16th century church across the street from a theater was struck by lightning and a huge cross fell into the street. I can't even imagine how insane that moment would be because obviously now it's 2022. We can look back and be like, that wasn't the devil. It's literally just nature. Okay. But if that happened, if you had just watched that movie, would you be scared? I would be scared. The film studio definitely leaned into the curse thing and they kind of loved it. The rumors were flying like crazy. It was creating a lot of like pre-internet clickbait style articles that helped this movie become really, really popular. So the last and most disturbing thing about the curse of the exorcist is that one of the actors was actually a real life murderer. A man named Paul Bateson played a radiology tech in The Exorcist, and he was actually a real-life radiology tech. Director Billy saw him perform a procedure and decided that he wanted Paul to do this procedure in the movie. In 1979, Paul was convicted of murdering a reporter named Addison Verrill. While he was in jail, he bragged about committing multiple other murders, but none of those ever turned out to be true. This obviously happened because he was a piece of garbage and not because he was cursed by The Exorcist. Definitely some spooky things happening on this set, but I think it's pretty clear that there were no supernatural or demonic activity at play here. Except maybe the fire that happened on the set that burned down everything. That is, okay, that is kind of freaky. What do you think? Cursed? Not cursed? Let's talk about one more movie that always gets up when you bring up movie curses, The Wizard of Oz. The urban legend that is very popular and gets brought up anytime someone mentions The Wizard of Oz is the story that there's a part where Dorothy and the guys are walking through the forest and you can supposedly see a body hanging from a tree in the background. This has been debunked a bazillion times and is not true. However, there were plenty of other horrendous, awful, disgusting things that really did happen on the set of The Wizard of Oz that I had no idea about. So first of all, we have to call it out. There are, of course, things that happened because it was the 1930s. They didn't have all the knowledge about performing stunts safely and properly. They didn't know about some of the dangerous products they were using for special effects. And some of the horrible things that happened on The Wizard of Oz are definitely due to the time it was made. However, there are so many of these things that there is no excuse for just because it was, quote unquote, the times. So first up, the death snow. Remember that scene where the squad walks through the field of poppies and falls asleep and then Glinda makes it snow and they all wake up? Well, the stuff that they used to make it snow was actually asbestos. Not good. Films around this time were using cotton to create fake snow, but eventually this ended when a firefighter pointed out that it was a terrible idea because you were covering your set with a highly flammable material. So they switched to the much safer alternative of fireproof pure asbestos crystalline fibers. Good switch. 
Of course, they didn't really know at the time how damaging asbestos could be, and even though there were studies as early as the 1890s looking into the dangers of asbestos, it took decades of dangerous exposure for them to eventually ban it from being used. Much like we have seen with things like tobacco or radium. But The Wizard of Oz was made in a time where you could still get away with literally covering your actors in cancer-causing chemicals because it was the most convincing form of snow. <laughs> yikes a bikes if you're like me, you can keep that interesting fact in your back pocket to share at your next dinner party with your friends. They might look at you like you're creepy for thinking that's a fun fact to discuss over tapas, but that's why you're here at TGI Crime Day with the rest of the creeps. So the Scarecrow's entire costume was actually made out of asbestos, which just sounds so unpleasant and itchy. The Wicked Witch's broom was also made of asbestos. I'm telling you, they really went for it with the many, many uses of asbestos. The super pure... <laughs> crystalline form of asbestos wasn't the only dangerous material at play on the set of The Wizard of Oz. The Tin Man's silver makeup was full of aluminum powder. They would basically apply super fine particles of aluminum powder all over his face and then use a cream makeup to keep it there. This aluminum powder was so fine that it would basically just float up into the air around the Tin Man, and the actor originally hired to play the Tin Man was Buddy Ebsen. They recorded all the songs with Buddy, they did weeks of rehearsals and makeup tests with him, and nine days into filming, poor Buddy was rushed to the hospital because he couldn't breathe at all. Buddy said that a few days into filming, he started noticing cramping in his fingers and his toes and eventually a tightness in his chest. Then one day, he couldn't get a full breath of air no matter what he did. He was in the hospital for two weeks and then had to recover for another four weeks, and basically, Buddy had had an allergic reaction to the aluminum powder that was coating his lungs. While Buddy was recovering from, you know, almost dying, the producers got impatient and decided to just replace him. Jack Haley was the replacement and became the Tin Man that we all know and love. They replaced the aluminum powder makeup with a different type of aluminum makeup that would instead be brushed on like a paint. This ended up giving Jack Haley an eye infection, but they were able to get it treated before it caused any serious damage. Jack Haley escaped most of the dangers of his aluminum face paint, but he was still put through the ringer with that costume. The Tin Man costume was so stiff, once it was on, he couldn't sit down at all. They would be on set for 14 hours or more per day, and he would have to stand the entire time. They got him a leaning board, which is exactly what it sounds like. Leaning boards were something that were very common during this era of filmmaking. So basically imagine a dolly that you use to move stacks of boxes. There's a board at the bottom that you stand on and then a tall board to just lean against. They used these in Hollywood when people were put into costumes that they were sewn into that couldn't get wrinkles. So between takes, they would just go over and lean against these boards. It sounds awful and so exhausting. The Cowardly Lion had it rough in the costume department as well. Bert Lars' lion costume was made from a real lion hide, which seems like a huge issue in itself, but on top of that, the costume was really hard for Bert to maneuver in, to be able to jump around and sing and dance, and the costume weighed about 90 pounds and had zero ventilation. For the purpose of continuity and keeping the costume looking its best, once he was in it, that was it. They couldn't, wouldn't, take it off for him, in those long filming days. This costume would cause Bert to overheat, especially under that hot studio lighting. He was sweating and miserable the entire time. Plus, on top of that, the prosthetics that they used for his face makeup were such a new thing that they were extremely delicate. So again, after the hours it took to apply, once that lion face was on, that was it. The makeup was so delicate that it made it hard for Bert to move his face at all, and he had to eat and drink through a straw. 
The costume was literally torture. The dangers of making this movie, of course, didn't stop there. Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, was really excited for her opportunity to be in The Wizard of Oz because it had been her favorite book since she was a kid. Unfortunately, she was involved in a very serious accident while filming. There's a part where the Wicked Witch disappears in a puff of fire and smoke, and Margaret was supposed to fall through a trapdoor when that explosion happened. And if I remember correctly, they did the stunt the first time, and it was perfect, which, like, never happens. It was amazing. It was great. She fell through the trapdoor as the explosion went off. It looked great, and that's the one that you actually see in the film. However, the director decided that they should do it one more time just in case. But this time, it went horribly horribly wrong. The trapdoor didn't open in time and Margaret was hit by the full force of this explosion and severely burned her hands and face. She had that green makeup all over her skin and the heat basically made it melt into her wounds. They had to use alcohol to get the makeup out of her burns so that it wouldn't cause further infection or damage to her skin. Awful. I can't even imagine how painful that was. Poor Margaret had second-degree burns on her face and third-degree burns on her hands. She was in the hospital for six weeks to heal, and the studio producers at MGM had the audacity to call the hospital constantly like, can she come back to work yet? You're wasting our valuable time. Disgusting. You're the reason she's there. MGM, you guys. There could be a whole episode about the horrors that happened at MGM Studios back in the day, and probably still currently now. Margaret did agree to go back and finish the movie, and she said, quote, I won't sue because I know how this business works and I would never work again. I will return to work on one condition, no more fireworks, end quote. Because again, Hollywood didn't care about their actors, all they cared about was money. Has that changed? Anyways, Margaret went back to work. She didn't have any further issues. However, they hired a stunt double for Margaret, and they didn't bother to learn their lesson about being more careful with explosions. The stunt double, Betty Danko, was filming a scene where the Wicked Witch is flying on a broomstick, and she was basically just sitting on this pipe that had smoke coming out the back that was supposed to look like the witch's broom with smoke coming off of it. The pipe exploded while Betty was on it, and she ended up with awful burns on her leg and spent 11 days in the hospital. And of course, the worst of all was the treatment of Judy Garland on this set. I could do a whole episode just about what Judy Garland went through to become one of the most well-known, beloved characters of all time. Judy was only 16 when they filmed The Wizard of Oz. They loved her look, they loved her voice, but they thought that she looked too old to be Dorothy. So they would strap her into a corset to make her look more childlike. She was on a diet of black coffee, chicken soup, and cigarettes to keep her weight down. And because they had such an insane filming schedule, Judy was never able to get proper rest. Her weird mom, who was the ultimate monster stage mom, would basically give her drugs that she called pep pills to give her energy and then sleeping pills to knock her out. This went on the whole time Judy was working on The Wizard of Oz. And on top of that, she was constantly being sexually harassed by the men playing the munchkins. It's horrible and so heartbreaking I can't even imagine. Judy had a contract with MGM Studios, who treated her like shit, by the way, and after putting her through all of that to make this movie, they eventually fired her, which ended her acting career. Judy sadly couldn't overcome the addictions that she had developed after Wizard of Oz, and while she was in other movies, she definitely didn't get the amazing career that she could have had and deserved. The cast of The Wizard of Oz were definitely cursed, but not by some supernatural, creepy force. They were cursed with a production company and directors who treated them like garbage and made their lives miserable. 
I think there's definitely more to the story about The Wizard of Oz. I heard most of these things for the first time on um, the Morbid podcast when they did an episode about it. No one does a deep dive like Elena does, so I highly recommend you listen to that episode of Morbid about The Wizard of Oz because the whole story is a doozy. So what do you guys think? Is there some sort of a truth to this whole cursed movie thing, or do you think it's all just coincidences and bad planning and poor management? I hope that you liked this episode. If you want to hear about more cursed movies, please give me suggestions. This was a really interesting one to research and something a little different than my usual content. And with that, I hope that you will subscribe to TGI Crime Date either on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts. You can also find me on TikTok and Instagram at TGI Crime Day. Go comment over there if you are listening to the audio only version. I would love your comments and have your thoughts on this episode. And of course, if you are watching on YouTube, leave me a comment below of what you think. You can also send me an email to TGICrimeDay at gmail.com if you have any um spooky stories you want to tell me urban legends ghost stories is your house haunted i want to know tell me all the things true crime and spooky related thank you for being here i hope you enjoyed this episode i will talk to you soon bye